Hey guys, welcome to VS Energy's Commissioning Podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Ferry, and here with us today is Mark Sankey and Nick Taliska. So today's podcast topic is pre-functional and functional testing. And this is essentially where the rubber meets the road. This is this is a, a big part of the commissioning process. I know we've been leading up to this in our previous episodes. So if you guys know or you don't know, pre-functional testing comes before functional testing. And we're gonna dive into both of these today. So let's start with pre-functional testing. And we discussed this a, a little bit in a previous podcast episode, but we're going to go into more detail. Maybe starting out with what aspects are generally checked in, a, in an HVAC system are checked during the pre-functional stage. And I don't know, Mark or Nick, if you want to dive in on that. Mark, lead us off. Well, sure. And, and I'm, I'll even go back and, you know, in your rubber meets the road analogy, Clayton, I love rubber meets the road because uh, if you've ever been to a racing track or had any interaction with guys that build race cars or anything like that, pre-functional testing is all about micrometers and clearances and all those things. It might even be a bench test of a motor or, you know, the, the engine, the engine builder, the transmission builder, the differential builder, all these guys have all checked their work and they've all, you know, everything's ready to go. But when the rubber hits the road and the car's on the track and the stopwatch is running, that's the functional test. That happens before the race. So I equate the pre-functional tests or even before that, the construction chest checklist. All right. Is everything connected properly? That's a construction check checklist. We, we think the phasing is right. We think you know, all the, the piping is correct. The thermal wells are installed in the right places. The valves are installed properly. The right valves are installed properly. And all of that in the construction checklist is all checked off. Now we get to the pre-functional test and everything goes hot. We bump the motors. We uh, make sure the rotations are correct. We make sure the shivs are the right size. The belts are all tight. Now we're, we're you know, ready to push the go button, but the BMS will be up and live and you'll actually be able to get real data from it and say, okay, I can see that not only we know from the, the construction checklist, the pre-functional test, everything looks right. And I can disconnect a uh, temperature sensor and I know that the supplier temperature is the actual supplier temperature sensor because now I get an alarm. And that tells us we're we're all ready for go flight day, which is when systems start to get turned on and perform their intended function. Right. So in the pre-functional part of this, we're not turning on the whole system. We're checking every individual aspect of it. Does our Do our damper actuators move when we give it 10 volts, it opens all the way or five volts, it opens half the way. And does your position feedback come back on the BMS? And everything like that. Absolutely. I mean, back in the years ago, when I took flying lessons, before you got in the airplane, you did the walk around. Are all the mechanical control surfaces free? Any leaks? Oil is good. Test, make sure there's no water in the fuel. And then when you get in the cockpit, there's a whole checklist you go down before you fire the engine. 
Right. And all of that is included with what would be called a pre-flight checklist. Correct. Like those two components. Yep. Okay. Because I like the driving metaphor as well. And if you've ever taught anybody how to drive, at least that's <laughs> part of my driving school, right? That's you right. Get in the cockpit, you got to do your pre-functional tests. Right. right. You know, seat adjusted, mirrors, blah, 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 distractions out of the way, even turning on the key. So, and I guess that's what I want to clarify. Years ago, I remember guys calling it kind of a, or referring to pre-functional testing as more of cold commissioning. You know, everything you do without turning it on. But I do see energizing the system as being a part of pre-functional tests. And I think many years ago, one of these, uh, you know, commissioning bodies, didn't they even break out like pre-functional testing to be, you know, one was like a field verification and then the other one might have been the operational performance test or something that was part of pre-functional before you got to functional. Yes, you are correct. And it actually, I, I actually saw a job description yesterday with a commissioning field uh, specialist. I thought all commissioning people were field specialists, but that's what this job title was. <laughs> yeah. Title. You need to be yeah. in the field to do the commissioning. Right. Unless you're doing it virtually, which we talked about in a previous uh, I have a good example for later about virtual commissioning. Oh, boy. She's an MNV, too. So, Nick, like when you're saying kind of, you know, making the system, turning the system on, but not starting it essentially. So, is that, say, you're energizing everything, you're making sure your actuators go to their, uh, I don't know, the correct position. If you take power off, they go to their, you know, default position and everything like that just to make sure we're in good shape. Exactly. And things like I think Mark was referring to earlier, fan rotation, you know, some basic electrical stuff too. But, you know, before that, it's all of the static things that get you to the point where you feel even comfortable energizing the system and starting it up. And then there's more things to look at. And it's kind of like, you know, after you look at your mirrors and put your belt on in your car and all that, and you start it up. Well, now you're now you're listening for sounds. Now you're you're sniffing for smells. You know, the things like that, that you would look at, but in the same thing, maybe not sniffing for smells when you start up an air handling unit, but right. that could be part of it. It but could be. Certainly looking at different be. things, but, you know, pre-functional tests, PFTs, at least in my experience, typically include, you know, the startup test and report, input-output testing forms and verification, calibration worksheets. You want to make sure sensors are calibrated you know, before you actually start up the system, but things along those lines. So, and we talked, we're kind of saying a construction checklist would come before the pre-functional testing, correct? In in some instances. I, I Mark, you talk more about this, but I think it depends on how, you know, you do think of this and group it and, and, and foremost, how you agree to do the project with all the team members first. You can't be having this debate what's in pre-functional and what's in functional once you get out there. Right. No, Construction checklists can be, you know, somebody told me they're a part of the pre-functional. I'd say, yeah, it makes a ton of sense and not separate, but actually part of it. That would make sense to me. Well, I agree with all, everything that you said. And even to go one step further, we have typically done control system functional testing once balancing is done. I mean, 
you know, balance the primary equipment and then get to the terminal units. And you want to make sure the controls are up and running and VAV box controls, for instance, are running so the balancer can do his thing. So I, I think you're exactly right. There needs to be coordination between trades with the input or guidance of the commissioning agent as they develop the commissioning plan to say, this is how we expect this to happen. We need air and water balance done before we do the final functional testing of the control system because we're depending on the values that are delivered by the balancer as reference values for chill water to the air handlers, hot water to the air handlers, hot water to reheats, et cetera. So that coordination, and it can vary system to system or project to project based on whether it's a retrofit project, new construction, phased construction of new or retrofit projects. And it just, it needs to be coordinated. That's a huge point to just, you know, continue reinforcing is that the communication and coordination really never stops on a project from the start. And this is a, a perfect example of where if it's not continuous and performing as expected, meaning the communication processes, then yeah, then, then you can run into problems quickly. Well, and that kind of, you, I guess you answered the question that I was trying to lead into in a way. Um, you know, the, the pre-functional and functional testing, the, the whatever, the tests, the checklists, whatever you want to call it, those are all generated before. This shouldn't be a surprise if it's done properly, right? You're, gonna, you're going to generate these, and I, I think it's the design phase technically, and get these out to the contractor's at a reasonable time so they are aware of what's going on and what's going to be tested and what's required of them. And my question was, I guess, just to bring this all the way back before we dove into that was, is it always the commissioning agent or the commissioning agent, or the team that does the pre-functional testing or is some of this stuff given to the contractor to, you know, literally, you know, make this their checklist, check off, it's all good. And then the commissioning agent comes on and does the functional testing. Nick, you want this one? Yeah, I would, I'm just going to say, based on my experience, it would be the installing contractor, I mean, nine out of 10 times, I think, if not all of them that I've seen that is doing the pre-functional testing, including the construction checklists. Now, where those, and that's, that's, you know, debatable too, I guess, depending on the type of project, but it makes a lot of sense to me. Now, where those construction checklists and pre-functional test forms come from, you know, that can, that's probably more of a discussion. Yeah. And I think you're exactly right. And generally when we write specifications for that, we don't necessarily give them a format, but do tell them when you, for instance, calibrate a temperature sensor, then we want to know who did it, what date, the temperature of the original state, the temperature of your calibrated NIST reference device, and the offset value that was put into the BMS, if there was one. And we try not to have that with temperature because we always specify NIST traceable. But, you know, without having accountability, like who did it and when and what was the device, whenever there's a problem with pre-functional testing, inevitably it's one of the twins that did it. And by the twins, it's either brother, I don't know, or sister, not me. So you have to have that accountability. Who did it? When did you do it? And what were the tools that you used? So can I ask Mark, so if you go, you have a project and 
you get to the point where you're talking about pre-functional tests and you ask the contractor or he asks you, what forms do you want to use? Is it more of a discussion of, well, which do you want to? And well, I have some pretty good ones or, because I think I could make the case where you as the commissioning authority would want to provide the exact forms because I've seen other cases on, on different phases of commissioning where you may say, well, here's the things we want. If you have forms, that's great. Here's the things we want in there. So that means they're going to send you your form, their forms. You're going to review them against your requirements. Then have to communicate, well, we need this in here. We need this and this needs to be clear. Then they come back with revising their forms. I, I would think a, a more efficient uh, case would be or approach would be to provide the commissioning authority to provide what is expected of the PFTs. I mean, he's the person or she's a person, the team responsible for the quality assurance of the overall project. And I don't know if we even mentioned that enough here, but commissioning is definitely a quality assurance uh, type of process and series of events. And I can say from my experience in it, you know, Mark will probably elaborate on it, but that's what we've done, at least in the last job I got off of that we were the commissioning agents. We gave them a pre-functional checklist and it said, who checked it? What were your values? What was the deviance name? You know, initial date, all good. And you got a, you got a list for every system that. But to, to add on to that, Clayton, you are correct. But the basis of that was their actual BMS points list by controller. Yeah, that's true. That's and true. Just yep. said, add me a column for here. Here was who did it. Here's time and date. They did it. Here's the reference instrument. Here's the old value. Here's the new value and just add those five columns on and give it to us in electronic and printed format and we're good. So there, there's a hundred ways you could approach it. And certainly I have no problem giving someone the form, but I don't want to be the, be a, a cause for excessive rework and recreation of any of the data they've already gathered. As long as we can get what we want out of the data, whether it's, you know, Excel or some other readily sortable editable format. I think you're absolutely correct. And it makes a lot of sense. And that actually answers kind of the next point of discussion I was going to bring up is, you know, where is this generated from it? And, you know, one example that you gave, like you said, is take the existing points list, add a few columns. There you go. It's already there. It was already developed. No need to reinvent the wheel again. If we already have all this data, just add a few columns for who checked it. What is the variance? What's the date? We good to go. Oh, I mean, that's just what we've typically done, at least on the BMS side, you know, yeah, on the right. side. Um, that tends to be, I would say, the HVAC contractors. I mean, there's, a, I think, a much, much broader spectrum of performance and expectation as to what they may believe constitutes commissioning. Right. So we've, we've generally given them, here's what we expect. BMS, it's, it has not been quite so, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. Um, they're usually a little more prepared. That's all I can say. So what other source documents would you be relying on? And I guess a secondary kind of thought would be, how important is the OPR at this point in pre-functional testing, if at all? I know it's the underlying foundation here, but... 
Are you referencing the OPR during pre-functional testing? Uh, typically not. I, I think the, you know, the pre-functional testing is a building block that gets to the point where the rubber hits the road. Right. So it, there is some um, judgment slash latitude in w what format, what's included in the pre-functional test document, but certainly, you know, the commissioning agents need to have the experience to be able to discern what needs to be included. I mean, there will always be, you know, the standard stuff. Give me all the information about the air handling unit, make model, serial number, date of install, you know, the wiring check, the dynamic balance, if there is one, are there, are the um, vibration isolators intact, the belts tight, this, you know, all the stuff. And then all the way up to the end, okay, we, you know, we have a speed driver, the minimum and maximum frequencies input, you know, all those kinds of things. I, I yeah. And I guess a good, generalization is you you the pre-functional portion of it is to kind of make sure on judgment day if you want to call that for functional testing when you start the system up it doesn't just fall on its face for whatever stupid reason could it could be if it's actuator related or damper related or sensing related you you want it to be able to run so you can test it well it's a great way to sum it up clayton i mean and that's what i like about this word i mean i like creativity but you know, pre-functional kind of, even though there's debate for exactly what happens, not necessarily debate, but I guess it depends on the project and the systems of what exactly happens then, but it is just like it sounds. It's what you need to do before you do your functional testing. Yeah. So, you know, if somebody wanted, you know, documentation's a huge part of this pre-functional too, that before you get, you want to have everything you need when you get to that functional testing, like you said that that process goes smoothly as well. And that could mean, you know, O&M manuals, you know, your tab reports, duct and pressure, uh, duct and pipe pressure testing, whatever else that may be required to uh, fulfill the functional testing. Well, and I think we even used like, um, you know, manufacture startup sheets for drives and, uh, you know, pumps and what have you. That That's essentially a pre-functional test to, you know, now we know it started up and it spins the right way and everything's good. 100%, yep. Yeah, and then when we functionally test the system to make sure that, you know, the programming of how it operates is correct, we at least know the pump runs right or whatever. So that's a another document to use for pre-functional testing. Absolutely. Manufacturer startup sheets. So a good question I think to ask as well is, again, I'm a, I'm a a visual guy from, you know, I like to know how things work from start to finish for everything. So if I'm a listener tuning in, we're talking about pre-functional testing and we're saying it, it comes before functional testing, but when in the project does pre-functional testing start? Do you wait? I know Mark alluded, you use the BMS to kind of make sure everything's coming back to that, to the BMS system, but do you do it and it probably changes system by system. So if all of the parts and pieces for air handler one are in let's do functional testing for air handler one, even though two, three, four, five, six, seven are not done yet. Or do you wait till all of those are quote unquote installed and then go and do your pre-functional test? 
to to answer that question reasonably, you have to distinguish okay between uh, new construction and retrofit. So in retrofit, they're typically, especially if you're working in an occupied building, some reasonability needs to be applied. Okay, the air handler is out of service. We need to get it back in service. So let's uh, schedule our functional testing to be uh, ex as expedient as possible and thereby minimize the downside or the, you know, the, the in operation of the system. Right. It may turn out that when you do a new construction, you can do it all at once, particularly if there are travel or other schedule requirements that are fitting into the schedule to minimize the travel requirements of, of all the parties to be able to have them there concurrently for whatever the period of time is a week or two weeks or maybe longer of functional testing. And I know you said functional testing, but it'd be the same uh, for pre-functional pre pre is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yep. No. So yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Like I, the, the way my mind was thinking about this was more for a retrofit project, I guess, as the, the systems can come online, you you'll go and do your pre-functional testing on it to then get into functional testing. But right. if it's new construction, everything's going to get installed and then you can go through and check it all once it's all done because it doesn't matter usually at that point if you can get air handler one up before 10 because the building's not ready to go yet or what have you right yeah okay that's a that's a great answer for that question and i think with that being said we covered pre-functional testing pretty well um you know summarizing where you get your pre-functional checklists from it can be from the points list who does it it can it, right the contractor can do it to go through and say this actuator was installed, you know, it, it moves the right way. Nothing's binding. Everything's good. Initial date, move on. Um, so, you so I have a question somewhere in here. And my question is for Nick probably, but where does inspection of installation means and methods fit in here? Or if it does it at all? Do we assume that there has been substantial engagement of the commissioning agent through the construction process? So, you know, we we ask for some very specific things on the BMS points list that, um, that that is the basis for functional testing. Give us the wire label, give us the termination number, give us the drawing, and give us the pre-functional test results that show the calibrations, if any, for all the specific field devices. So does, and, and we always inspect the field installs before we actually are ready to commence with functional testing mm -hmm. or doing field verification of the pre-functional testing documents. So, yeah, I mean, that level of detail that you undoubtedly bring as far as expectations of how this is to be done right. I mean, in all cases, it needs to be done well before people are out there doing pre-functional uh, testing, you know, whether it's a pre-construction meeting or pre-installation or pre-functional pre testing, but everybody not necessarily needs to be on the same page, but the commissioning authority needs to clearly explain to the contractors, these are the expectations. This is how we're going to be verifying things along the way. It may be different than you've done on another project, but 
know, there is that sense of there's an authority on the project and it is their responsibility, meaning the commissioning authority, to make sure that this quality assurance program continues through this phase as well. So you don't want to be out there and have surprises or contracting teams saying, well, that's not how we do it or it's not how we're used to doing it. So in my mind, if this is the question you were asking, you know, that when does this start? Well, it starts well before you're actually out there in the field doing the pre-functional testing. If I can elaborate on that too, I guess I agree with Nick completely to, to the extent of, you know, if I'm the commissioning agent on site, I am obviously going to be during, during the construction phase, walking around and making sure those requirements are, you know, generally understood if it's wire labeling or even, you know, if it depends what you're doing, but I, you know, as to means and methods, how the actuators are installed different. I don't know. There's a lot and you want to be on site during construction, reiterating that. But if I'm, if it's say it's a large facility and I'm doing my laps and I see, you know, contractor X doing it the wrong way. And I tell him, no, 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 do it this way. Well, I'm doing that. And somebody on the other side of the facility is doing something not to spec. It's still the specification. So I think you do your best during the construction phase to make sure it's all understood. But once functional testing comes along and I'm going to go look at, you know, air handler one again, for instance, open up the junction boxes. Let's see if there's wire nuts or all the wires labeled. That's when I'm going to do that final check. And if they didn't do it, then sucks to be them. Well, yeah, no, I agree. And I think we're, we're maybe talking about actual installation of, of physical equipment and systems. And maybe I, when Mark mentioned the, the means and procedures or whatever, I was thinking, how will testing be done? Oh, yeah. We're, oh, we're a little bit on different pages. Uh, and, and actually, Clayton and I were on a job very recently, and the commissioning agent was on site. Never, I mean, didn't even have a copy of drawings. And, you know, we were kind of tagging along as the owner's rep. And, you know, our punch list was huge. And everything looked good to the commissioning agent. And I, I would, uh, I, I just didn't go along with it. <laughs> but so I don't know who answered your question, right? Or what, what your question was geared towards. Did we answer it, Mark? My question was, and my question, I think you answered it the, the way that I intended the question. Nick, I didn't communicate it clearly, but as you go through the project, my f- sense is that not enough attention is paid during the construction phase of the project to adherence to the spec to the means and methods of installation which have so which have impact on constructability operating cost and maintainability gotcha and which do i did uh, misinterpret the question but everything you're talking about obviously makes it so that your pre-functional testing, there aren't too many surprises when you get there. Yeah, but you, I think you answered it in a good way too, though, Nick. I mean, I think, again, you're, you know, it's all, it theoretically should, if you did it right, all be clearly outlined in the specifications that they need to read and understand. That's their job, not my job for them to do that. But as you go through the process, you want to communicate that so it is understood. So once you get to judgment day, when the rubber meets the road, everybody 
everybody's expectations are generally on the same page. If that's to what, what do I want labeled? How do I want it installed? Or how am I going to be testing it? I mean, it's all the same, essentially. It all comes out in functional testing. Well put. Now go, coming back, we did a good job, I think, of outlining the pre-functional process, what it is, when it happens, who does it. And now maybe we'll talk about the transition to functional testing. And, and there could be, I don't know how much, it depends on the job, right? There could be a sh- very short amount of time probably between pre-functional and functional testing, or there could be uh, a little bit of a longer amount of time be- before pre-functional, you know, before functional testing starts after pre-functional testing ends. I don't know if we want to start with where, you know, start with that or, and then get into like, what is functional testing actually? Well, you're right. As far as the delay or time that uh, expires between when pre-functional testing is done and functional testing. So the functional testing is when you're, you're verifying that all the various installed components all work together as a, you know, a cohesive system, if you will, testing system performance, as well as the sequences of operation uh, when we're talking about, you know, air handling units and chillers and boilers and things like that. I mean, that makes sense. And I just wanted to, again, I'm trying to help if the listeners are, aren't familiar with the process. Um, you Once I finish pre-functional testing, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to say, okay, now let's start functional testing. It you know, it, it depends on if it's a new build retrofit and maybe Mark can elaborate a little bit more on that. I, th- I think you need to break it down. Okay. So let's just say, for instance, we're, we're commissioning a new chill water system. My preference is typically to, I don't care, primary, secondary pumping or variable primary. It really doesn't matter. But even before I push the go button on the chiller, all right, we want to do the pre-functional testing on the chiller. We also want to do the pre-functional testing on the hydronics so that, okay, the system's filled to the correct static pressure based on the height of the building. We have the pumps all rotating in the correct direction, variable speed drive set to their mins and maxes, and then start the flow testing of the hydronics before I just flip the switch on everything. That's a good point. You know, all systems being interactive as they are, I can make sure that I have design flow across each coil at wide open throttle. I can make sure that I have design flow on the secondary systems, design flow on the primary. I have variable flow, you know, within the ranges that are required. No, that's a great example, Mark. And, and, you know, so the the examples about the chiller plant and obviously you're not going to be functional testing before the other downstream Components, subsystems are, are tested, the hydronics, the pumps, that, and the same that goes to your, he's talking about coils, air handling units, and then even if you break down an air handling unit, you know, there's functional testing and pre-functional testing as well that needs to be done on VAV boxes out there in the space too. So you can kind of follow that back, that decomposition of the system, if you will, and it, it, you know, there is a coordination effort that has to take place where you don't want to be functional testing systems where down the line they have not been functionally tested yet. Right. The, the systems they depend on for operation have not been functionally tested. That's, that was kind of where I was headed. Yeah, everything, everything interacts, right? Your chilled water system, right. your hot water system. Your handler can't do anything if it's not getting chilled water, so you can't functionally test your 
air handler if there's no chilled water in the coil for cooling or hot water in the coil for heating. So Absolutely. Yeah, it, it takes time to get all of those systems, depending on the job, online and to the point where we can flip the switch to say, okay, it's time to go and functionally test it. Well, and if done correctly, the commissioning agent should be able to develop the critical path for the for the actual right. functional functional testing to be able to hand over the contractor to say, here's what we need to do and the order we need to do it in so that we don't get to, oh, by the way, the chiller startup guy's here and we haven't water balanced. We haven't functionally tested the variable flow system. So, you know, let's get that done in advance of push the go button on the chiller. Yep. So that, right. The whole part of the, the whole role of the commissioning agent is to make sure that's all coordinated properly. So it can flow to get right. to the, the end game. Yeah. Awesome. So when we do get to functional testing, what is functional testing? First of all, so we can outline that and let's just talk a little bit about the process. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what is functional testing? We talked about it's where the rubber hit, hits the road and it doesn't, it, it's basically doing the qualifying laps with your, you know, fully operational vehicle where we've, you know, sat in the, in the car, uh, steering linkage is all right. The tire pressures are okay. Engine's fine, has plenty of oil, coolant. Everything's been put together and as independent components are all operable. So now we get to do a uh, warm-up lap, hopefully, and then a hot lap where we can start to test the design performance of the systems in operation, not just the, hey, the tires are up to pressure, the engine will generate enough horsepower reliably, et cetera, but we can make sure that the systems, the, the components put together operate as a system as designed. And that includes you know, when, with the, the discharger set point is 55, right? The system goes down. We can cool the air to 55. Our, our mixed air temperature control loop works. We're making the, the correct uh, temperature for mixed air. We're bringing in enough outside air. Uh, static pressure control, if there's VAVs attached, are correct. So our fan ramps up, ramps up and down when it needs to. Free stat works. Fire stat works. I guess that would be more, you wouldn't be testing that, but. Um, the, all of those aspects, correct? So, uh, I have to walk you back. Why wouldn't we be testing free stat and fire stat? Oh no, I think you would be testing the free stat, but it like would that be the fire alarm fire company doing the fire stat? Well, you have to coordinate. Yeah, that yeah, with yeah. The fire yep. marshal or the uh, governing authority. Yeah, I guess I, I explained that wrong, <laughs> but yeah, so you would be testing the fire stat. That would just be coordinated with. The fire marshal to say we're we're going to trip the fire alarm system to make sure the air handler shuts down. Yeah, and sometimes those types of tests I think are still referred to as a uh, integrated systems testing. Okay, maybe kind of reaching outside of that, you know, dotted line of, around the air handling unit. And the other distinction too, with uh, functional testing and going to Mark's uh, racing analogy here, but. You know, when you're doing your hot laps at Brewerton Speedway or something, and, you know, you might be getting some data logging too. So it's not just a static look at, okay, is the engine temperature up to where we want it and different things like that, but you may be doing some short-term monitoring of it as well, which shouldn't be overlooked, the importance of that. 
those yeah those trends are really important right once you start the system up you you do want to kind of let it do its thing for a little i don't know what you would consider a little while but you want to be able to look at those trends to see how the system's responding how quick it's responding to changes you know external changes of state uh, and all of that so those trends are very critical in the functional testing process you're looking right at the bm the bms is opened and you're looking at it when you're doing your functional testing and that's really the idea with the functional testing you're trying to run it through its paces of you know everything it might encounter so as much as you can you know manipulate loads and things like yeah. that test it under various conditions so that when you get out in the race and things are operating on their own which a whole different set of functional tests can be done too, depending on seasonality of mm -hmm. systems. And some things you just can't simulate. Mm -hmm. And then especially when it gets into full interaction with other systems too. So there's still uh, some level of yeah, verification that needs to be going on. So that's interesting in sidebar. A few years ago, I was at the Columbus Nationals, you know, where they run the spring spring national drag races and um you know these are top fuel dragsters all running over 300 miles an hour and a quarter mile and they get so much data that basically there's not one thing they can't tell as to what happened with the car i mean all the way down to you know pressure plate temperatures and i had the opportunity because i had a pit pass i'm walking through the pits there was a driver who was having a very heated exchange with the team owner while they were pointing at a computer screen because the guy had lost and he was the driver was blaming it on loss of traction and the owner was uh, very adamantly gesticulating and verbalizing that you lifted your foot off the throttle. Look, it's right here. It's on the data. Wow. You lifted, you lifted, you lifted. And the guy was like, oh boy. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. But you know, that's a that's a good point. And I think that's a a great story for this conversation because, you know, without that data, did you, you can, don't know what happened. Well, I, right. But you could say, okay, now let's look at the wheel speed sensors. Um, right. Was the front as fast as the rear? Did, did we, did he lift because he was slipping or did he lift because whatever, you know? Yeah. That's the and same just, thing with functional testing of an air handling unit. You need that data to see what happened first and cause the chain reaction downstream correct. or else you're just guessing at why did this happen? You can fix. You I can know it's an extreme example, but Mark, how, how long does the, 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 the race last this whole time period? 3.5 seconds, 3.8 exactly. seconds. Yeah. And so the amount, but, I mean, so, but you scale that up to a building, yeah. you can still find a lot of things that you wouldn't be finding just with general, okay, everybody right now, look at this thing, you know, right. yeah. we yeah. see what's happening. Yeah. yeah. We, we look at one minute, you know, sample times or five minute sample times, you know, and I was a geek, even a geek then. And, uh, they had hundred thousands, hundreds of thousands of data points for that less than four second time period. That's Amazing. crazy. Yeah. Yep. No, but that's a big part of functional testing. I think that's worth outlining. Like I said, you, you do need to look at the historical data, if you want to call it that, if it's from 10 minutes ago, one hour ago, two days ago, a week ago, all of it, because you need to be able to identify what, what happened if something, if there was an issue, what happened first? And all of that data is critical for that. And sometimes it takes time. 
to get that instance to occur to make the system go out of whack to cause whatever right. failure and, and, it is. Good point. And, and, and you know, this is post, obviously post commissioning, et cetera, but we get called in as, as you know, the subject matter experts in lots of, of, you know, all kinds of things, performance contracts, mechanical system failures. And that data is the forensic roadmap to be able to say what happened first, you know, and you have to be able to understand a, what happens in the system, b what's happening as outcomes and what the cause and effect relationships are. So you can construct that timeline post-mortem. Now, obviously during the functional testing, we look at extensively the measured variable control variable and PI or PID control yeah. output to be able to analyze the claim or fact associated with stability of a PID control loop. You know, for many years we saw people, well, the room's 72.1 degrees, everything's hunky-dory. Well, that's 72.1 when you analyze it over a time period of a five-minute time interval or a 10-minute time interval, that's great. But all that is is the root mean square of the yeah. temperature. Meanwhile, the PID is cycling every 30 seconds yep. on the reheat control valve, and the VAV box is swinging inversely from minimum to maximum flow. So the fact that you have a you know a, a, a control va control variable that equals the measured variable, it, it's uh, it's happenstance. It's not happening yep. because of the control system. It's happening in spite of the control system. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's funny you bring that up because that's another thing that, you know, we really, we really try hard to communicate and make sure it's happening is, I don't know how many times we've walked through the job and said, are your trends set up? Are your trends set up? Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you need MVCV, you know, CO, measured variable, control variable, controller output. Yeah, yeah, we got that. We got that. And then you go to commission whatever system it is, whatever, you know, item it is, and they don't have that. Not that it's hard to build, but then you got to go back for whatever. It could be 85 VAVs to set that up because you need to look at that. You can't just look at the space temperature and the set point, you know. It's a big part of functional testing. Is looking no, at absolutely. That. And what came to mind to me, Clayton, was this, this uh, whether it's the, I don't know, the formality of, of filling out a checklist Instead of, because I've been on the receiving end of the same thing. Yes, verbally, everything's been set up, but it's quite different when somebody needs to go through and indicate, yes, this point is there. I verified it, whether they check mark it, they put their name next to it, they write down the actual point name. But a lot of that can make the difference as far as a documentation of what was done to ensuring that it was actually done. Oh, yeah. When it's got their signature initials and a date on it. It better be done or else. Well, it, just, it just needs to be done, right? Yeah. Yeah. And not that that uh, displaces uh, the need or removes the need for a verification, but it does help increase the probability. Although I must say not to go too much on a, a tangent, if you want to call it that. I don't, I don't think we've, we did that for trending. Have we, Mark? Saying, you know, as a pre-functional part, do you Absolutely. have. Absolutely. We did do that in our pre-functional so checklist. Yeah, trends did. set up and the alarm value. Set okay, up. yeah, yeah. See, good. Yeah. Yep. And Nick, you know, we 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 do have VS Energy has a reputation as being a pretty rigorous um, 
commissioning entity. It's pretty thorough. Uh, and we have three modes of outcomes for our commissioning tests. They're rubber stamps. So pass, that's green. Fail is red. And epic fail is like 32 point font red. Epic fail. Yeah. <laughs> that's clear. It's right? disappointing how much we've had to use our epic fail stamp before. Yeah, exactly. That might be the most used one. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, it's a, it varies job to job. A lot of times, yeah. I mean, especially with contractors that we work with frequently, you know, that know us, it's, it's, it flies because stuff is done. Everything's complete. And they know that, hey, let, we don't want to go down the, the red road. Or they've gone down the red road and, yeah, no. Okay, we're gonna again. we're not doing that again. That sucked. What yeah. does EF mean here, Mark? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, no, it's, it literally it, epic fail. it literally says epic fail. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yep. Well, that's good clear communication. I don't that's think anybody right. can interpret that any differently. Yep. No. Well, we've had to use that a few times, but but to mitigate that, and sometimes I don't know, it, it seems like they they just try to some contractors try to gamble and they know what they need to do, but they didn't do it. And they just hope they didn't, they, you know, we miss it. But, um, you know, as, as long as you go through the job and you're on site and you're, you're reiterating those points, this is what we're going to be testing. This is how we're going to be doing it. Um, you know, you make all this stuff clear. It helps a lot as opposed to just showing up on functional testing day and saying, Nope, that's not right. Right. Well, yeah. And the communication has to be there and the expectation of how the tests in you know, sometimes they should be looked at like actual academic tests. There's a test and it will be graded. As yeah. Mark, you just illustrated. And, you know, the job of the commissioning authority, I would think, would be to help the we contracting team. Yeah, exactly. Here's, yeah, it's just like a teacher, right? There's going to be exactly. a test at the end of the year. Good thing is I'm going to show you how to pass it. So yep. let's get on the same page and... uh because that is, I mean, you're ultimately working towards that end, but I don't know. Sometimes it's no different than a, you know, you have a manufacturing line and it's very clear what the output is on that line and what it's supposed to look like, but you still, you know, have quality assurance and quality control to make sure that that product is that way. And that, that too goes back to before you start up the machinery in the morning, kind of use that meta, uh, analogy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a very involved process to make it sometimes to make it go smoothly. I mean, it takes a lot of time and communication and understanding of the, the, the complete system, the full facility. And that's where the commissioning agent comes in because there's a whole lot of different contractors that have their individual parts and pieces. And I think as a commissioning agent, you to make, you need to make sure that all of those parts and pieces work and they will function seamlessly together. Some, I feel like sometimes, right. You know, a, a contractor, they don't see the downstream effects of if, if what they do is incorrect or wrong or not to spec even. And you're the one that has to make sure that's correct. Well, even if they do, and there's, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of examples I can think of, of, you know, a contracting team that were experts, right? And they knew what they were doing, but their attitude towards the commissioning and the commissioning authorities plan and the testing was, you know, well, you know, we're good at what we do, obviously. The owner likes us, but, you know, so if you just, if you find anything wrong, 
just let us know. We'll fix it. And I think to somebody that maybe is not a seasoned commissioning authority that, you know, that may seem perfectly reasonable and acceptable going into it, but, you know, that's not really the, the spirit of cooperation that I think the owner would want. Not, hey, if you find all my mistakes, then I'll be sure to fix it. But no, let's all talk about how we build up to that point where there are no mistakes. Right. right? There should be right. no mistakes to fix. That's Functional a lot testing more should be efficient way to do things. But. Yep. Starting it up and we kind of we expect to know the outcome already when you get into functional is, testing. You guys both are exactly right. There is nothing more costly to a contractor, to an owner on a project than rework. Nothing. Yep. yep. It sucks up labor. It sucks up labor two times. You have to un well, you have to take out whatever's wrong yeah. yep. and reinstall whatever's right. So I I mean I can't say it enough and, and those are you know rework like that either because of lack of engagement by a commissioning agent throughout or just plain ignoring the means and methods portions of a specification are the bane of uh, successful projects. And when I talk about successful projects, all, we, we have really two objectives. We need to install the project in its entirety to the owner's OPR and in accordance with the plans and specifications if there are set. And we want the contractors to remain profitable. There's no perverse incentive that we don't care if the contractor loses money. In fact, if they do it right the first time, do it expediently and efficiently, they should make money and everybody's happy. Right. So, you know, the commissioning agent in especially amplifying what Nick said, yeah, we are there to make sure that everyone graduates and we don't want anybody to repeat a grade. <laughs> Very descriptive. That That's the rework right there. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. You're not there to make a, see somebody fail. You, you want to, you tr give them all the information they need to know to pass the test and you reiterate it as many times as you can, as you go through the job until you get to that testing day and, Theoretically, it all should be good at, at that day. And I think with that being said, do you guys have any any more points you want to add to this discussion? So I, I'll give you a story from a, a project that we were subject matter experts on a failed performance contract. And it's pretty interesting because I was trying to think of a good, you know, what when did we have a failure in functional testing? So the project was a high school where they had a 650-ton older centrifugal chiller and the ESCO was going to put in a new 400 ton, which they estimated was like the 80%, 90% load of the high school. And that was a magne magnetically levitated centrifugal. So probably twice as efficient or half the cost per ton of the old chiller. So the plan was to base load with the new chiller and then peak if they had to with the leg legacy chiller. So there were a myriad of failures. The first being that their M and V period happened basically from December to December. They went a year before they started to do any M and V. So the M and V showed the M and V report showed that the new chiller ran 1,045 hours during the period and the legacy chiller ran 63 hours, but they couldn't, they, they did some analysis. The school district saying, look, our bills are identical to last year. And this was a you know primary retrofit along with lighting. You could you could 
see the lighting savings, of course, and take that out. But after that, there was no impact from this chiller, which there should have been a you know pretty big impact. Right. So we get on site and go through the BMS system. The BMS system showed the new chiller with 1,045 hours on it. And chiller one on the BMS system read zero hours. So, okay, you believe chiller two was running in the lead. All right. We go to the chillers and start pulling up the run times on the Hobbs meters. Uh, chiller two ran 11 hours. The chill water set point was 42 degrees on chiller two. And that's a new one, Mark, right? That's the yeah. new one, 11 okay. hours. And the chill water set point is 42 degrees. So chiller one, we don't know what the base Hobbs meter was. You know, it just ticks along. So it was 9,400 plus hours, but the chill water set point was 40 degrees. Oh. So the, the runtime totalizer in the BMS, we asked for the programming, was connected to the BO command of each chiller not the actual status input. So the old, the new chiller never ran. The old chiller was running in lead, making 40 degree chill water. And the only time chiller two, the new chiller started was if the chill water got above 42 degrees. Pretty easy, easy to catch in functional huh. testing, right? Yeah. So all you'd have to do is put that chiller in manual, start it up and see if the BMS started to scroll up the run hours, right? And apparently never happened. Is there any way that could have been commissioned correctly? But yeah, then, you put the, yeah just put the chiller in. No, no, no. But it could, that it could have been, and then it was changed by operational staff or anything like that? No, because there was no status feedback from the chiller. No wire. It wasn't gotcha. even on the drawings. Okay. Yep. Wow. So the set point on the legacy chiller, like someone like type, you know, you go on to like the, the, whatever you know management system on that chiller was 40 degrees the set point at the chiller there was no yeah these were not integrations yeah okay were, okay okay yeah yeah so that yep. chiller saw warm water temperature and just ran made 40 and the other chiller had no reason to ever other start chiller never started yeah i nope. guess they should be uh, thankful that their utility costs were not more than the previous year. And Correct. Got a, another year, that thing running at its peak efficiency. <laughs> wow. That but, is a good uh, story about how functional testing can, oh, I mean, so many lessons in there go unnoticed. Oh, yeah. Uh, even surpass some people's eyes. Maybe uh, I'm, I'm thinking that an M&V report had been issued by the time you were called. Yeah, but but yeah. it was so I, I don't know my experience with MMV reports, especially on a project that you know somebody has risk on, and typically somebody has risk in a performance contract. You don't wait a year before you do the first MMV report, or at least look in on it and do a you know spot check. Yeah, do a spot check and, and say, okay, we've been into this for a month. What's it look like? Yeah, are, are we close to on track? Because, you know, otherwise we're back to the, oh, guess what? You failed first grade, start over. Well, you know, I, I don't know the situation and I'm not trying to point fingers or anything. Obviously, it's way long. doesn't matter anyways. But I cannot believe a facilities person, if there was one, didn't realize <laughs> that this, this old chiller has been running for a long time. It's, it should be a hell of a lot quieter. I mean, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> 
Not well, that I, I don't well, know. I mean, well, uh, I will. I will. Um, there's a lot of layers that failed here, but uh, and it does happen. And this this is a tangential conversation. Yeah. But the facilities people felt like they had been, uh, how do you want to say, dismissed? Yep. Not uh, not engaged. Right. And that now we have this company that knows how to run this more efficiently and do better and don't touch anything because these guys know exactly what it takes to save us money. And sure. they have the risk for the savings. So <laughs> yeah. monkey with anything they're doing. A don't lot. monkey with right. anything. And, and don't kid yourself. If you don't think those guys knew, I mean, it took yeah. some thought for me to get through this and, you know, not that they said, go look at the Hobbs meters that, Hey, we didn't hear that running very often, or you know, we didn't see that thing running very often. But we were told not to touch anything, so we yep. didn't. Yeah. So a lot of learning lessons in this they, conversation. They, they let the contractor have all the rope they could handle. Hmm. Yeah, good story, Mark. That is, <laughs> as it all wraps this whole episode up. It does. Nice. I yep. think it does a great job, man. Yep. Yeah. Well, that was a good conversation. Hopefully, to our listeners, you guys took a lot away from this conversation. Um, I don't know if we 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 mentioned this in the beginning, but Mark is in a uh, undisclosed location with a lot of background noise. So sorry about that, but we're glad to have him on today and add to the add to the episode. And then with that being said, guys, stay tuned. Our next episode we'll be discussing functional test design and application. So this is more into we talked about what functional testing is today, but we want to talk about how do you generate what your functional test is. And the application of it and obviously there's a lot of risks to it if you don't do it right uh legal and financial impacts so thanks for tuning in for this episode and stay tuned for the next one have a great day guys hey guys and for more information on us vs energy or applied facility science check out our websites www.vsenergy.us or www.appliedfacilityscience.com a lot of great content you can reach out to us learn a little bit more about what we do, where we work. And um, yeah, there's just a lot of great information. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn, BS Energy. So check us out, give us a follow. Thanks a lot.